You're listening to a sermon from Redeeming Life Church. Thank you, Daniel. I don't know about you guys, but I'm thankful for Daniel. You guys thankful for Daniel? I know I am. Thanks, man. <laughs> Jonathan's ready to go. <laughs> and actually, that is that is what time it is. My name is Britt Riceley. I'm one of the I'm the one of the ministers here at the Church of Outreach and Discipleship. Um, but before we get to that, you guys can turn to Romans Romans seven. And at the same time, while you guys are turning there, the kiddos can be dismissed now. Uh, ben and Berlin are in the back. If you've got kiddos um, that are that age group, you, you guys can go with them at this time. So those of you that are staying, turn to Romans seven. How many of you guys growing up had a dog? Anybody? Most of us? Okay. I, I too had a dog growing up. His name was Spike. Um, he was a little black cocker spaniel. Um, we got Spike when I was probably three or four. Um, great dog, pretty even-tempered. Um, so one of my one of my favorite stories, even though it's a painful story, it's a it's a great teachable moment story. When I was about five or six, maybe seven, um, my dad owned rental property in a little small town just north of where we lived um, in Nebraska. And every summer we would go up there on the weekends, and he would you know kind of fix the house up, work in the yard, just kind of tinker around, work up on you know those of you that have rental properties know what it's like. You have to kind of just, you know you have to watch those things and you you fix them up. Um, and so we, we went one summer on a Saturday afternoon um, up to Trenton, Nebraska, is what it was called. And we took Spike, and I'm about five or six, and I, I'm bored. I'm not really going to help my dad fix up the house. And so I, I say, hey, Dad, I'd like to take the dog for a walk. Is that, is that okay? He said, sure. So he goes in the truck, gets the leash out, put, hooks it on Spike's collar, and then he says, okay. I, I'm going to give you the leash, but what I don't want you to do is I don't want you to put the leash around your wrist and then wrap it around because then a spike takes off after a bird, a squirrel, a cat, whatever, he's going to drag you with it and you're not going to be able to get out because I'm five or six and the dog's big enough to pull me over, you see. So I said, all right, that doesn't make any sense, but I'm five, what do I know? <laughs> so he says, okay. So I take Spike, I'm getting to the front of the yard. And my dad says, okay, so you can go down to the stop sign at the end of the street and come back, stay in the front yard, those are your parameters, don't go any further, don't go anywhere else. I'm like, okay. And so he said, remember the leash, don't wrap it around your wrist. And I'm like, I don't know why that matters. So me and my keen five-year-old wisdom, as soon as my dad turned around and went back to working in the yard, put it on my wrist, put it over my wrist, then wrapped it around my wrist like four times. So I didn't want the dog to get away because that would be bad. My dad would be mad at me if I let the dog get away. So I've got this thing wrapped on my wrist. And then when I was five, I had a really, at an early age, I had a really good keen sense of fashion. And so I was shirtless at this point. And I had, I had denim cut-off jeans that are all scraggly at the bottom. And then I had mismatching cowboy boots. One was black, one was brown. <laughs> it's probably a garage sale find that my mom, like, he's not going to know the difference. So luckily that didn't carry with me all of my life. So uh, I'm this shirtless, cut-off denim cowboy boot kid with a dog incredibly wrapped around my wrist. And I'm about to go walk the dog. So I start off on the, on the, on the sidewalk there, walking along. It's a beautiful summer day. And, of course, as destiny would have it, the neighbor had like five cats. <laughs> and three of them jumped right off the front porch, just scurry across the street in different directions. And, of course, Spike, being a younger dog, does what dogs do. They go get things. And so he took off and takes me with him like this. And so I'm being drugged behind Spike. My chest is being all bruised and all scraped up. My knees are being all scraped up. And I'm being drugged across the street for like 
half a block. And I'm screaming bloody murder. I'm freaking out, yelling at the dog. The dog's just barking. The cats are, I mean, it's just like chaos. And I'm yelling. My dad hears me. My dad comes running across the street, tells Spike to stop, finally gets things under control. I'm screaming in my face off, blood everywhere. And my dad, being the man of principle that he was, didn't have much sympathy for me in that moment. <laughs> As I'm laying there tied to the dog, and he's just like, ah, oh, you kid, you didn't listen, did you? And that was my first massively bloody experience being a kid. Um, I tell you that story because I think a lot of us tonight, as we see here in our text in Romans, I think for some reason we as humans have this extreme aversion to obeying the rules, don't we? I feel like there's always, there's at least something in probably all of our lives that we can relate to where someone has specifically told us not to do something and we literally turned right around and did it anyways. Can anyone relate to that at all? Anybody? Okay. So that was my experience. I have many of those. That's the only one that I can probably share out loud in public. Um, How old are you? 28. Okay. So, <laughs> so I share that because I think, as we'll see in our text here, I think if we're not careful, we will mistake. And what sin, sin does is it takes truth and it, and it manipulates it into being lies. And so if we're not careful, we will mistake the rules Things that God has intended for us to be good things, we will mistake those things to actually being things that we think are wrong or things that aren't good for us or things that aren't fair. So my proposition for you guys tonight and for us tonight as we talk about this in Romans 7 is that the law is not the problem. Sin is the problem. Okay, and so let's, let's jump right in here, starting at looking at why and how the law is actually a good thing, starting in verse 7 of chapter 7 in Romans. Paul says, What shall we say? What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, You shall not covet. Okay, so right, off the, right out of the gate here, Paul, Paul is, is helping us see that God has set for us the parameters the boundaries, whatever words you want to use there, God has set for us what, are his, what His holy and righteous standards are for our life, the law. Okay, And immediately Paul gives an example and helps illustrate that, that he wouldn't even have known that coveting is wrong had not there been a law to say, this is wrong, do not do this thing. And so if there is no ultimate standard of what the law is, what truth is, how will we know what is right or wrong? We won't. We, it'll be left up to culture. It'll be left up to our own devices to say, this sounds good to me, this sounds good to you, but this sounds good to me. And if, imagine if we had a society that lived and worked that way. Oh, wait, we do. And, and look, how, look how far that's gotten us, right? And so right off the bat, the law reveals to us God's holy and righteous standards, okay? And so Paul is immediately saying, look, here's the box that you can play in. Inside of this, great. Anything outside of this, not great, Okay. And we see this in culture, like we just said. And one of the, one of the things that I thought of is uh, in Genesis 3, we see this at the very beginning of creation. God gives Adam and Eve the parameters, right? You have this amazing Garden of Eden, perfection, joy, peace, contentment, anything you could probably want. He gives them dominion over the whole thing, perfect shalom. He gives Adam the commands, tells him what to do, gives him dominion, and says, you, you, you can have all of this except for one rule, one thing I'm asking. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So literally, Adam, you had one job. 
Right? One thing. Do not do this one thing. So Genesis 2. And then Genesis 2, the end of Genesis 2, God creates woman. And then Genesis 3 comes along, and then the serpent comes and all of his craftiness, and he looks at Eve and he says, did God actually say that we shouldn't eat of that tree? And immediately, right there is the first entrance of postmodernism, as we were talking about on House Fellowship. The, the taking of the perception of God has given us all of this grace, all of this mercy, this freedom. Here's a perfect garden, and, I, and, I, and you can have it all with, with just one thing don't do. Postmodernism or the serpent, the lie, takes that whole thing and shifts it around to where all your focus now is, I can't do this. And we focus on this thing, and now we're mad at God. And now we don't think God is enough. Or So in this case, Eve thinks, well, as it says in Genesis 3.6, it was a delight to her eyes. She looks at it and says, that looks pretty good. I mean, God told me not to, but my eyes tell me it's good, so it's got to be good, right? <laughs> How many of us have been at that moment where we thought it looked good, we thought it would go well, and it actually didn't? Weird. Weird how that works out. <laughs> so we see right away Paul's referencing um, the parameters that God has set for us where, and obviously we guys know the rest of the story in Genesis 3. Eve goes through with that, takes a bite, eats out of the tree, sin enters the world, and here we go. Genesis 3, we're already breaking. And at that point, they only had one rule. Don't eat of a tree, and they couldn't even handle it. Now God has set more parameters around this. We see Paul referencing the coveting thing, which is from Exodus 20, coming from the Ten Commandments. Um, And so the law reveals to us God's holy and righteous standards. And the problem with sin entering the picture now is that we, as fallen human beings, cannot live up to these holy and righteous standards that God has set for us apart from from Jesus Christ. We cannot do that on our own. And so this leads us to the second reality that the law is actually a good thing, which tells us that the law actually reveals our sin nature. Okay? And so look in verse 9 with me, if you will, if I can find it. Verse 9. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. Verse 11 also says, For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. Verse 13, Did that which is good then bring death to me? No. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. Okay. So the law reveals our sin nature. The law shows that even though the commandments and the parameters that God has set for us are supposed to be producing life and joy and peace and contentment, what happens when sin enters into that, and if we're not careful and we don't understand what's happening, the sin will take that law and what was used for good, it will produce death. It will destroy us. Okay, one commentary writer said it this way. says, By revealing to men and women their sinfulness and inability... It reveals to them also their need of deliverance, which only the grace of God can affect. And we know this, right? We know that our sinful nature, that there is nothing that we can do to overcome this sinful nature that is inside of us on our own strength. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. All of us. None of us are exempt. None of us are strong enough in our own selves to defeat the nature that is inside of us because of what happened in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And so the beautiful thing, and what Paul starts to get to as well, goes into verse 18, is... Where is verse 18? Verse 18 on the other page. For, for I know that nothing good dwells in me, 
that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Does anybody relate to that? I have the desire. I know what is right. I, I want to do this righteous thing, God. I know what your holy righteous standards are for me. I want to do that. But for some reason as humans, we find ourselves on the other side a lot more sometimes than the other side where I can't seem to do this. What is the answer to this? How do we fix this? How do we live more on this side than on that side? We'll get to that in a second. So Romans 6.23, as we've just talked about, Paul says, Nothing good dwells in me. And as we know, Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. Death is not a good thing in this case. Death being eternal separation from God, as the Bible speaks about it, hell. Okay, This is what sin actually earns me and you. We earn death because of our sin. And the other half of that verse is beautiful as it contrasts wages, what you work for, this earning. What you actually earn is sin. But in contrast, this free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So therefore, this brings us to the next reality that the law actually reveals God's grace and mercy to us. Because we have this, these holy righteous standards that God has set, and we see that in, our own, in and of ourselves we cannot obtain and live up to these holy and righteous standards because we have a sin nature. And because we have this sin nature, we are constantly doing things that we don't want to do even though we know what we should be doing. So how, do we, how does this reconcile? How do, we, do we just stay in this? No. The law reveals to us the parameters that we cannot keep, therefore it reveals God's grace and mercy in the law. Something that most people would say, rules are bad. God doesn't want you to have any fun. If you're a Christian, that's going to be lame. Have you guys heard that? I've heard that a lot. People say, I would be a Christian, but it's so boring. There's no, there is no life in that. And what has happened is our culture and sin ultimately has created this massive dichotomy where if you're going to be with God and obey all the rules as a Christian, there is no fun. There is no joy. There is, no, there is none of that. And they, they pit that against, if you want to be a sinful, live however you want, then here's all the fun. Here's all the party. This is where it's at, right? That's not true. That's a lie. Because actually what we find, in those of you that have been walking with Jesus for a little while know that when we obey the parameters that God has set for our lives, we actually find a deeper, more meaningful sense of peace, sense of joy, sense of fun. I think being a Christian is fun. It's not easy all the time, but I have way more satisfaction in my marriage because we're trying to pursue Jesus together, and Jesus is the center of our lives. And so that brings so much more depth and robustness to our marriage and our family and this community because we have something greater than the world will ever have or ever know apart from Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. And so the law is actually a good thing. Sin is the problem. And so as I was even telling the kids over there tonight, all of us have rules that we have to obey. Are some of them fun? No. Are some of them really not fun? No. But they're things that we have to do. Why? God has given us these set of boundaries for a reason because He loves us. The rules, the laws, all those things sound harsh. But when you study the Bible, when you study the life of Jesus, Jesus said Himself, I did not come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. His teachings were the completion of all the Old Testament Mosaic law that had been preached and taught for years. He was in himself the completion of the law. Therefore, the law is a good thing. If Jesus himself said, I'm going to fulfill this, if we like Jesus, we should like the law. Okay, the law is not the problem. Sin is the problem. So this law 
this holy given standard that, that no one has been or will be able to live up to apart from the saving work of Jesus leads us to Romans 5, 8, which says, But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is crazy. I, I've heard that a million times in my life, but for as I was prepping this, it just really hit me. While I, while in the midst, I mean, I imagine myself like doing the things I was doing in high school, doing the things I was doing with my girlfriend, doing all. The, I can just, like visualize while I was doing all that nasty stuff, while I was being a sinner, while I was an enemy of God, Jesus died for me. Jesus in perfection. Jesus who came to the earth in the flesh, lived a sinful, sinless, excuse me, a sinless life died on the cross to take our place, to pay for all of our debt, to pay for all of our shame, to pay for all of our guilt, for sins past, present, and future. Jesus did that for me while I was over here doing things that we can't even talk about out loud. That's incredible to me. We were enemies of God. Jesus himself stepped into this nasty muck and mire of this world, put on flesh, walked through the trudgery of the nasty filth of our lives and our world to live a sinless life, to model for us how we could have a relationship with God, our loving Father. And so, this, this is beautiful to me. I think the more that I've wrestled with this and the more that I've thought um, in my own life as I look back, um, I know that my dad was a really strict man, <laughs> almost to the point of me wanting to rebel constantly because it seemed like he just wanted to squeeze all the fun out of my life. And... Those of you can maybe relate to that. <laughs> and I look back at that now, in all honesty, I'm 28 now. When I was in high school, I, was doing, I, wasn't, I wasn't doing crazy things, but I wasn't doing anything really worthwhile either. And so when I look back at that, and I look at how my dad had a curfew for me, mm-hmm. how when I got my first car, it was, you're paying your insurance at 14, you're paying your gas, you're paying, your, you're paying for the whole thing, man, and go get a job. And if you want clothes from today forward, you're going to have to go buy them. So if you don't like Walmart clothes, too bad. And... If you want, I mean, anything that I, I mean, there was so much responsibility heaped upon me, so many rules and curfews and things, or, and couldn't even go out on weekends, couldn't go on trips outside of town. I live in a town of like 8,000 people. The only thing to do, literally, was go to Walmart and walk around. That's how lame <laughs> it was. We would literally go to Walmart and play hide and seek, play with the balls, ride the bikes. It was, it was ridiculous. <laughs> so you can imagine how a kid that, that that was the only real entertainment in the town was, how you could easily find yourself doing other things that are more entertaining, right? And so as I look back at my dad, just, just, ugh, just crushing me under all these rules and strict times and all this stuff, I resented him for it in the moment. And I resent, and I come to, as I process this, I resented my dad, not because my dad wasn't doing the right thing. I resented my dad because I was immature. I was an infant. I was a boy. And so now as I look at my life, I hope I'm growing out of boyhood more each day. And I hope I'm becoming a man more each day. And as I look at my life with Jesus, I realize that the more that I see God's heart as a mature person, I see his rules in my life that I don't really think are oppressive. I actually think, okay, that's hard. I'm not saying it's easy to obey everything. It's hard, but I see his heart in it. Therefore, I see that I want to do it more because I know that this this book tells about a God that is loving, unconditional, and his son Jesus is the most amazing, incredible person that we'll ever hear about. And that if I can submit my life to his rule and his reign in my life each day, it'll actually go better for me. How many of you guys can relate to that? When we submit 
I mean, so much of our lives, it's about pride. It's about our ego. It's about us being right, and we're not going to be wrong. And if we can just get past that immaturity and say, I'm going to submit to this thing because I know this thing is good, I know the heart of God is good, that we will actually find ourselves experiencing more and more of God's grace, more and more of God's mercy. And hopefully, that will lead, lead us even more to say, okay, God, whatever you say goes. You call all the shots in my life. And that is one of the things that we'll talk about as we wrap up here is, does God call all the shots in your life? If He doesn't call all the shots in your life, you don't have the right to call Him your Lord. If He saved you, that's great. But He is you're supposed to be your Lord and your Savior. Your Lord is someone who's a master, someone that calls all the shots. It's no longer me saying, I can pick and choose now. Okay, God, I'm going to obey you in my finances, in my marriage, but in my... Raising Jonathan, I'm going to do whatever I want. Or pick, pick whatever it is. I'll obey you with my tithing, my marriage, but at work. Don't tell me how to live my life at work, God. Don't tell me how to be Jesus to people at work. I do what I want at work. I participate in things they participate in. That's my little, that's my little time to be me. That doesn't work that way. Jesus calls all the shots, all your life, in every area of your life, every aspect of your life, You are supposed to, as a believer, if you are a believer, submit that to the Lordship of Christ. That's what that means, submitting that to the Lordship of Christ. And so I hope at this point that we are starting to see that that God has made the law for a reason. The law is a good thing. Sin is the problem. Okay, and so how do we deal with sin? So I hope those of us that are Christians, I hope we realize that there is a battle raging every single moment of every single day for your soul. There is an enemy that prowls around like a lion that seeks to devour and destroy you. It's called Satan. He wants, to, he wants to deceive you. He wants to tempt you. He wants to accuse you to the point where you don't even know who you are anymore. Okay? And so as we battle with sin, as Paul says, I think it's a little bit reassuring that Paul himself says, I struggle with this. That makes me feel a little bit better that this isn't just us. Even a guy like Paul said, I know the good that I want to do, and I can't even find myself doing it. I have the desire to do good, but I continue to not have the ability to carry it out. So where do we get the ability to carry out righteousness? I think we look at verse 21. So I find it to be a law or a principle that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. I think that's also interesting. But when we know the right things that we ought to be doing, Satan, or evil, lies right close at hand, breathing down our necks, saying, you don't need to do that. Did God actually say? No. That, that is the evil that lies close at hand. Verse 22, For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. So there is a battle raging that only the Holy Spirit can accomplish victory within you. How many times have we spent so much of our lives, myself included, trying to defeat personal sin in our own strength? How far did that get us? I don't know about you, but it kept me enslaved in my sin when I tried to do it on myself. When I tried to just be better. When I tried to just try harder. I'm not saying there's no practical reality of effort. There is. But primarily, as Christians, if you are a believer today, the Holy Spirit is your strength. Jesus said, it is better that I leave you and that the Holy Spirit comes and that you have the Holy Spirit. It will actually be better to have the Spirit inside of you than the physical presence of Jesus. So the Holy Spirit is our weapon. And so we know Ephesians 6, 
11 and 12 says this, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. We are not battling a a fleshly battle. We have fleshly sin, but in order to defeat the sin nature, in order to defeat sin and personal sin in our lives, we need to call upon the Holy Spirit to give us strength, to give us the ability as weak, fragile human beings to overcome the sin that we battle every single day. So we can call upon the Holy Spirit. We have that power inside of us. For those of you that may not be Christians here, I want to encourage you that you may be feeling the weight of all of this. You may be feeling that, man, this is heavy. How do I get out of this battle if I'm stuck in this place where I just have continual battling of sin? Paul mentions and kind of points to this in verse 24. He says, Wretched man that I am, Who will deliver me from this body of death? And then this beautiful answer in 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus. Through Jesus. There's movement there. Through Jesus Christ. If you are not a believer, I'm here to tell you that you will not experience peace. You will not experience joy. You will not experience victory over sin in the ways that you hope and dream of apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ. And when that happens, the Holy Spirit will now be an asset and a tool and and how you have access to that in overcoming your sin. And so if you you are not a Christian, you can do that simply, as Brian has been using this language in the last couple weeks through the ABCs of admit that you are a sinner, admit that you have sinned against God, admit that, as as Paul said, that we have these parameters, the, the holy, righteous standards of God, admit that you cannot live up to those standards on your own. Admit that you have a sin nature. Admit that you have sinned against God. Believe, for B, believe that Jesus is who He says He is, that He is the Savior of the world, that He did die on the cross for you, and that He rose again on the third day, and that resurrection power is the same power that now lives inside of those of us that call each other believers. And so John 1 says that if you believe in His name, He will give you the right to become children of God if we believe in who Jesus says He was. And see if you confess that Jesus is Lord. Like we talked about, Jesus, you believe that He's your Savior, but you confess also that He is your Lord, that He is supposed to call all the shots in your life. You will be saved that way if you do those things. Romans 10 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. If you believe who Jesus says He was, if you admit that you are a sinner, that you've sinned against God, those things are the, are the foundation points of becoming a Christian. I hope that, that this is encouraging to you. And those of you that... Um, our Christians, I hope um, that we would be better people in terms of helping others see that the rules and the things God has given us to obey are actually for our benefit, they're actually for our good, and it actually shows the loving heart of our God. And so as we relate to the world around us that's broken, that doesn't have that same mindset, may we be mindful to love really well and to love graciously. May this motivate us as we've been loved much, as Paul says, has made... God's grace upon our lives not go without effect. May we truly be gracious to people who don't have any idea what's going on. And those of you that may not be saved tonight, may not be Christians, you can pray that prayer. Admit that you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus is who He says He is. Confess that Jesus is Lord. 
And we want to walk with you in that. We want to journey with you in that. We want a relationship with you. We want to walk with you in that. We are all in process. And I've heard that a lot of times. Is, is Nicole and I have been in other places in our lives and ministry, and so many people are afraid to say, I'm struggling with fill in the blank. Because they fear that they'll be judged by Christian people. I have been a person that's judged people. I've seen people be judged by that, and it's wrong. So as us as a community, I pray that we would be the type of people that when people come, wherever any of us are at, all of us, every single person in this room is in process. We are in a place of needing a community of people under the banner of Jesus Christ to learn how to walk this thing out. So if you're in a place where you don't have anybody walking with you, please, we would, we would love to walk with you. We have house fellowships. We have, we have multiple people in this room that would love to sit down with coffee for you, with you, walk with you through that. Don't do this alone. If you guys know people that are walking alone, encourage them to walk with you. Go be somebody that somebody else can lean on. We're in this together. Would you guys pray with me? God, I pray that if there's anyone in this room tonight that does not confess that you are Lord, if they're not believing that you are Jesus, the Son of God, if they have not admitted that they are a sinner, God, I pray that they would say those things, that they would have that conversation with you. God, that you would begin to do in them an incredible work through your Spirit in regenerating their heart, opening their eyes, giving them a heart of flesh, that you would pour your Spirit out upon them, God, tonight, and that they would be moved to follow Jesus and commit their life to following Jesus for the rest of their days that Jesus would be Lord and Savior, that Jesus would be the one that calls all the shots in their life. Father, for those of us that are Christians that claim to be followers of Jesus in this room, I pray that we would continue to see your goodness and your heart, God, in this text, that you have given us rules, you've given us guidelines, you've set parameters in our lives because you care deeply for us. Father, may we never look at you as a dictator. Father, you are a loving God with an incredible heart for your people. We are your children. We are sons and daughters of a beautiful Father. May we never forsake our identity. May we never forsake our first love. May we truly be people that embrace your statutes and your laws as love to us. Give us eyes to see those around us in our community, in our neighborhoods, in our families that have not experienced that love. And may we be that love to them and lead them to the one who gives life, Jesus. It's in his powerful name that we pray. Amen. Redeeming Life Church is located in Salt Lake City, Utah. We'd love to have you as our guest. For more information, visit www.redeeminglifeutah.org.